Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is uh, January 17th, which chances are, certainly better chances than winning the Powerball, chances are it's been exactly 16 days since many, if not most of us, have begun to fail or falter on our New Year's resolutions. Really? Am I the only one? All right. It's a great thing, right? If that is you, by the way, if you are one of those who, like me, has eh, had a little trouble following through, don't worry, because Lent is right around the corner. So you have a, you have a new chance to, to start again, to be a better person in just a few weeks. And then if that doesn't work, Advent follows after that, and then it's going to be another new year. So don't worry. Plenty of chances to improve yourself. It, it never ceases to amaze me that on the one hand, we are a people obsessed with being better, right? Being better people, improving ourselves. If you doubt that, just check the aisles and aisles of self-improvement and self-help books at Barnes and & Noble. And yet, on the other hand, we are a people who suck incredibly at becoming better people, Right? Like, we want it, but we're not very good at it, right? It's weird, but it's there. And it's a good impulse. I want to be real clear here. You should all be better people, okay? I know many of you. You should be better people, (laughs) right? There is always room for improvement. You could lose a few pounds. You could stop smoking. You could be kinder to your neighbors. You could spend more time with your family. You could uh, read more. You could give more to charity. You should all come to church more often, right? I mean, there's so many ways that you could be better people, and, and you really should be better people, okay? The problem is, you should be better people is not the gospel, not even close, even when it's about faith stuff, right? Even if it's about waking up early in the morning to read the Psalms. Good luck with that, right? You should be better people. It's not the gospel. No matter how much the church tries to sell you that as the truth, that's not what we're about. Because as good as it is, self-improvement, self-help, The first word in those phrases is self, right? It's it's all about you. It's about me, right? If it's going to be, it's up to me. If I'm going to be a better person, I just have to work harder at it, which is awesome if, in fact, you are a strong and powerful and gifted and amazing and awesome person who can do anything you put your mind to. Of course, if that's you, then you probably wouldn't need to make New Year's resolutions in the first place. Do you hear what I'm saying? The challenge of self-improvement is that I, I'll speak for myself, I find it so easy to stumble and fall. And yet, it's so much a part of our culture. 
This morning we hear four parables, four little ditties of Jesus. Jesus loves parables. It's his favorite teaching tool. It's this kind of weird uh, kind of literature that Jesus was a big fan of, which tells us nothing more and nothing less than that Jesus was really annoying. Uh, Because parables are an obnoxious teaching tool. Because they don't make sense. And they're not meant to. That parables are not meant to explain everything all of a sudden. They're more um, glimpses, a little unveiling, a little peek at what God is up to, a little seed, if you will, to, to, to reveal a little bit of this grand truth and mystery that is too much for us to handle all at once. Parables are awesome and difficult. And they're not meant to be explained. And yet, this morning, one of them is explained, right? One of those parables is explained, right? Very straightforwardly. Now, most scholars will tell you that any time a parable is explained in Scripture, it probably is a later addition by an editor, someone who was equally confounded by the mystery of parables and wanted to make sure that dumb people like you and me could have some idea of what was going on, right? So, so somebody adds an explanation to make sure that people who have trouble listening might know a little bit about what's going on, even if it's totally off base. And so most scholars will tell you that the explanation of the parable of the sower that we find in Mark chapter 4 this morning is probably a later addition. But you know what? It's crucial. And it's crucial not because it tells us very much about Jesus or what Jesus wanted us to know. In fact, it probably tells us, us very, tells us very little about that. But what it does tell us is that our ancestors in the faith are just like us and had the same obsessions and issues that we do. Because what that explanation tells us is that our ancestors in the faith were very quick to turn the gospel into something that's all about you. Basically, what this explanation of the parable of the sower is meant to provoke in your mind are thoughts that you've probably had over and over and over, and probably some of you just had them a few minutes ago when we heard this story. God, I want to be good soil, right? I just want to be good soil. I want to be the, the, the stuff that, that takes in the word of God and lets it grow. I want to be the disciple that sits at Jesus' feet and listens and listens and takes it all in and then goes out in the world and vomits it up so that the world is filled with God's grace. I want to be good soil. But I also know that there are days when I am easily distracted. Because I love shiny objects. There are days when my to-do list is so long I can't possibly have time to think about Jesus. There are times when I, I have so many other things begging for my attention. Things that'll make me feel better. That I can't possibly think about what God wants me to do. There are times when I feel thorny and rocky and stony and empty and shallow. But God, I want to be good soil. 
Everybody wants to be good soil. And so you can go to your local Christian bookstore and you can see aisle after aisle after aisle of books that will teach you how to be good soil, right? How to improve your faith life, how to pray better, how to be a better spiritual head for your family, how to whatever. You can find all kinds of spiritual self-help books. And you know what? Some of them are great and God bless you on your journey. And, and, I'm pretty sure we've missed the point. Because again, we have turned God's great mystery and gift to the world into something that's all about us. But what if, what if what the parables are actually about are not about you and how much you do or don't suck at listening to Jesus, but what if the parables are about God? About who God is and what God is doing in the world before, long before they're about how you can be a better Christian. It's just a hunch, but my hunch is confirmed by digging a little bit into these stories. Two of them in particular. The first one is this parable of the sower, the one that gets explained away in just a few verses. The parable of the sower is essentially a story about a farmer who is terrible at farming, but somehow brings in a harvest that is beyond imagination. Right? It's a farmer who wastes at least 80% of the seed, throwing it willy-nilly wherever the wind might take it to land on whatever kind of ground it might land on with absolutely no hope that at least 80% of it will actually do anything of value. And yet, somehow, somehow with a farmer this bad at farming, this farmer is able to bring in a harvest that can feed the whole world. Can you imagine? What the heck? What is this God up to? Wasting so much and yet still somehow able to do such great things. I mean, maybe, maybe, just maybe, what this teaches us, or at least gives us a glimpse of, is that ours is a God who is comfortable being wasteful with God's grace. I mean, isn't that what grace is, right? Isn't grace really basically just waste? I mean, the definition of grace is lavishing love on people who are unlovable. The definition of grace is giving life and light to people who are dead and dying. The definition of grace is God's extravagant mercy poured out on people who don't deserve and haven't even asked for mercy. God is wasteful with God's grace. And yet, somehow, despite the fact that a good 80% of you, maybe a little less because this is a pretty cool congregation, but about 80% of you suck. I mean, raise your hand if you don't. (laughs) And then we'll talk after church, okay? (laughs) And yet, miraculously, God 
is able to bring in a harvest to feed the world despite what God has to work with. That's grace. So that's cool, right? I mean, God is a terrible farmer and an awesome farmer, and that's grace. But then then there's this other parable, this other one that's also about seeds and soil and growing. But the problem is this time it's not about growing wheat to make bread to feed the world, but rather it's about a weed. It's about a mustard seed, a seed that as soon as it hits soil almost immediately begins to germinate. And once it gets started, it don't stop. A little bit of mustard goes a very long way. And the problem with mustard is that a very little mustard goes a really long way. Once it starts growing, it just grows and it won't stop. It is an an invasive species. It is a noxious weed. In fact, all it's good for is to grow big enough for birds to nest, which is cool if you like birds. But if you're a farmer, birds are almost as annoying as weeds. Just ask the seeds that fell on the path where the birds came and ate them up. Let anyone with ears to hear listen. What? I thought we were growing wheat. I thought we were growing a harvest to feed the world. And now now we're talking about God's work in the world looking like a noxious, invasive, nasty old weed. I don't know what that means. I'm just going to be real honest. But I do know that there are times when I have seen God working in the lives of people that I don't want anything to do with. And there have been times when I have been shocked that God has been able and willing to even try to do something with me. When I don't feel like anything more than a noxious weed. But God is gracious. And God's kingdom grows like mad. And and God is somehow able with this motley crew to do great things in the world because it is God's work to be done. And it is God's harvest to bring in. And despite the fact that God loves weeds and is extremely wasteful with God's grace, somehow God is still able, still able, To make all good things, all good things come to pass. That, friends, is the good news. See, the good news is that we have an awesome God. A God who is so awesome, God is willing to work even with Bob. Have you met Bob? A God who is willing to claim this beautiful baby boy and to say, Henry, you belong to me. And you're cute now, but man, ten years from now, whoa. (laughs) But I have great things in store for you. And these folks are going to be a part of making that happen. 
But ultimately what happens is God's business. That's the good news, friends. Is that we worship an awesome God. And that God is the one who the world is longing, literally dying to know about. See, here's the thing. When you are sent from this place on Sunday morning, I hate to break it to you, but the world is not desperately longing to hear about how awesome you are. Because they know how awesome you aren't. Sorry. When we go from this place, what we are called to proclaim is not our own awesomeness, or our own deepest longings to be a little bit more awesome than we were yesterday. What the world is dying to hear is about a God who is awesome enough to love us and to love them and to somehow work among it all in the wasteful extravagance of God's grace to bring forth a good harvest. A harvest big enough to feed the whole world with the bread of life. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.